Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this interview, I talked to Moosh Feek, which I think I pronounced his name correctly. If not, I'm sorry, Moosh Feek. I did the best that I could. He blogs over at the website Flip, and he's done 175 website deals since 2008. He has a newsletter over there, but generally, he's not selling anything. In fact, when I did the pre-interview, I always ask, hey, what what are you promoting? Can I help you do what you're trying to do? And he said, no, if I just like to talk about this stuff, I have a newsletter. I think there's some things that we'll uncover and you'll understand in the conversation and the interview here why he likes to share his stories and why he has a email newsletter and that sort of thing. Very impressive dude, very smart guy. And I could tell you a little bit about his history. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'm, I'm checking out the about page on the website flip.com. And he stumbled on SEO in 2008. He made his first website in the VoIP niche, voice over internet protocol, voice over IP, as it were, as it was. And he worked on it for about two years while he was in college. And then he was approached for a buyout by what's now called Slash.media. And he sold it for $25,000 back in 2010 when he was 20 years old. So he's been working in this industry for quite a while. He buys and grows sites and then he sells them. And he does this on the side and he does uh, many six-figure exits. He's actually a super seller on the Flippa platform, and he's had some pretty cool case studies over on Empire Flippers as well. We get into a lot of details in this conversation, including maybe my favorite part was when we really got in depth for conversion points on an affiliate page. So overall, he's focusing on affiliate sites There's some other revenue models in there. Of course, uh, you got display ads and that kind of thing, but mainly affiliate sites and and mainly through, uh, you know, various multiple profit streams. So usually there's ads, usually there's a lot of different affiliate programs as well. And I'll let him tell the story. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. Before we get to the interview, I got to give a shout out to a sponsor, Ezoic. And they're a Google certified partner. And I usually talk about their site speed accelerator, but I'm going to pause on that and just kind of highlight some other stuff. Number one, if you haven't checked out the blog over at Ezoic, it's written very well. There's a lot of sort of inside information because they have so much data available. And there's just smart people writing over there on the Ezoic blog. They utilize artificial intelligence and machine learning and a couple things that you get out of that. It essentially adapts websites to what readers and advertisers want and it optimizes the website for every visitor. And that's where the AI and AB testing and some of those other cool things come into play. You can unlock more revenue from each visit and competition from advertisers changes on each page of a website for a visitor session. And Ezoic allows sites to adapt ads and layouts and more to capitalize on those changing conditions. Additionally, you can deliver better experiences. So how visitors behave on different devices and during different times of the day are just a few of the thousands of variables that Ezoic uses to control experiments that improve visitor experience and website earnings. So those are a few things that you get out of using Ezoic. And I thank them for sponsoring the show. So check them out if you haven't. And even if you're not ready to display those sorts of ads or use Ezoic on a, on a deeper level, you could still check out their blog because it's a, it's a great one. The audio quality in this interview is a little bit off. I'm not 100% sure what was going on normally as I've recorded a couple hundred podcasts at this point in time. I think my audio is pretty decent most of the time, and I'm not sure if there was something in the interface or what. I apologize for that. If you can make it through, and it depends on how how good your headphones or how you listen to a podcast, 
you may not even notice that there's some background noise, but I did my best to try and filter it out. I went through my normal mastering of the audio, and then I I tried to tweak it, sort of fine tune some of the filters, and I did the best I could. I apologize for the subpar audio quality on this one, and hopefully it won't happen again. So let's get to the interview, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Mushfiq, how are you doing today? Good, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's pretty cool to meet. I think we have a lot of mutual friends and stuff after I started researching what you're doing. But for the folks that don't know you, can you give an intro on yourself and kind of kind of what you do? And you, you're over at the website Flip, so that can be yeah. sort of the reference point. But yeah, what do you work on? Sure, yeah. So I've been mostly buying, growing, and selling websites uh, since 2008 is when I got started. Uh, I sold my first site in 2010, and since then I've done about 175 transactions on both buying and flipping and then also brokering. So yeah, I have a you know newsletter where I share a lot of information on flipping, growth strategies. I do detailed case studies on my portfolio. That's at the website flip.com. But mostly I'm into just buying and selling. I don't build from scratch. Okay. And when did you first hear about, I guess, affiliate marketing or niche sites and that sort of thing? Yeah, that was 2008. Um, Pat Flynn and then Spencer Hawes, those guys got me started. So, yeah. Okay. So way back then, because I, I yeah. was a few years after that. So you literally found out that this world existed and then jumped in headfirst. Exactly. Yeah. All yeah. Right. How did those first couple transactions work out for you? First couple things that you did. Yeah, it, it was it was a different world back then. I was building sites on uh, Google Blogspot, some Black Hat way. You know, I was very active in the Black Hat world. You know, forum, Black Hat forums, doing some things that today would be like, wow, you know, uh, building. So you could put up a site with random content that's essentially, you know copied and you could rank right there was no rules back then so you know blogspot blogs google adsense was the thing back then my first dollar was from google adsense and you know slowly realized over time you know with all these google updates that you know content quality content quality sites and slowly transition out of that phase (laughs) to better uh more authoritative sites and why did you decide to buy sites and acquire them versus building them from scratch I have some, you know, I have a thesis that I like to buy distressed properties, distressed websites that are underperforming, but they're built by hobby type bloggers. So it's really easy to acquire those at whatever the multiple is, average multiple, and then really just pull the levers and then 10x the income, right? Because they were just not done right. You can't really do that with a brand new site. I mean, you can, but it takes a long time, like 12 months, 16 months, 18 months to start seeing traction. So I can, you know, I can skip that time frame. And, you know, if you have capital, it makes sense to just buy a site if you know what you're looking for. But if you're just getting started, you know, definitely um, go through that whole phase um, of continuing building sites. So I, I, I enjoy buying sites and then just tuning them and then you know waiting and then selling i I think that process works for me is there a sweet spot for either the price range of the site or the earnings amount that really seems to work out well for you yeah i yeah so apart from you know earning uh site valuations i like to stay under fifty thousand. um that's capital wise that makes the most sense to me I think a site earning about at least five hundred to a thousand dollars minimum is is where I like to do it because you got, you have to have some traffic and some earnings um, for that to you know for those tweaks to actually work. Another thing is I it's not always about the earnings. You know I bought a site that was getting a hundred thousand visitors monthly but making three hundred dollars. That to me that's like a win right there, right? That's way too under monetized. They, the owner didn't know what they were doing, and so within a month I bumped it to 3000 and now it's at 10,000, right? So that's just how, you know, kind of what sites I'm looking for. It's it's a combination of uh, high traffic, low revenue, or, you know, okay revenue and somewhat okay traffic. It's just that that sweet spot there. Okay. And you know, there's a few thumb screws you could turn and yeah. really get a lot of leverage out of it. Okay. And we'll, exactly. we'll get into those for sure. And this is exactly. the kind of stuff that you share case studies and that sort of thing at yeah. the website flip. Exactly. Yep. Okay. 
Back when you got started, did you have, or actually, I mean, you've been doing this for long enough that you've had, you know, sort of different phases, I'm sure, but were there some assumptions that you had that ended up being completely false, maybe in the early years, I would say? Content quality has, the the impact of content quality has changed nowadays, you know, top notch or nothing, right? Back then it could be, I used to use an interesting plugin. I think it's still around. It's called WP Robot or something where you could, you know, give it different uh, websites and it would automatically scrape and then put it on your site and you start getting traffic. And, you know, nowadays that's crazy, right? But, you know, so content has changed. The impact of backlinks, right? The SEO, you know, search engines now want quality authority backlinks. So those things have all significantly changed, and it's 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 for the better. So you know that those are my those are the some main assumptions that have more more or less changed in the SEO world for sure. And I guess those are things that we just can't ignore now, and that's just what the yeah. industry is doing. And that's good. It definitely has been better as a consumer of and user of Google yeah. and trying to get information. It's definitely better. I remember hitting sites wondering how the heck that was a result yeah. for Google. So For sure, yeah. Going back to the price range and some of those other mm-hmm. metrics. So the, the traffic and the earnings may not be as important, but you're looking for an area which is not leveraged completely or optimized completely. Are there certain monetization methods that you stay away from, for example, or are you open to any sort of website? Yeah, my expertise is affiliate marketing and ad ad display ads. Um, you know, I don't do any like you know, selling leads or anything like that. Um, so I like to stick with you know, anything that has an affiliate program or anything I can put display ads on um, and do it like that. And then of course, di- uh, uh, digital products that we can sell. So anything that's online based. Okay. And are there any, I guess, quick wins and, and sort of quick tips where people usually yeah. make that sort of mistake, especially when it's under, under optimized for, let's stick right. with affiliate marketing first and then we can talk about yeah. that ad based. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm doing due diligence on any site, I'm looking at the top 10, 15 articles um, that are getting traffic. Um, and I'm looking at, are they pulling, putting the right elements on the page, uh, comparison tables, call to action buttons. One thing I see, a lot of people add comparison tables, but they don't in, uh, link the image in the table to the affiliate network or Amazon or whatever, right? That's the a really easy one. Um, some people miss having a, a comparison table altogether. That's the easiest win right there. Um, other people miss call to action buttons within the product reviews or adding affiliate links within the content itself, contextual links. So these kind of things I'm always looking for. Nowadays, I can just look through Google Analytics, look through the couple of the you know first five or 10 pages of the buying guides essentially. And you know I can tell, oh, okay, I can double this income or triple this income. And then my acquisition is based on what they're paying, what the revenue is today, but you know, I can see the potential and then I buy it. Okay. And for, let's dive into some of those details. Sure. For the comparison tables, I think common wisdom now, because a lot of people like us have talked about using comparison tables and it's a great way to present information in a compact space, all those things. I've seen some some studies from some plugins that say comparison tables don't work as good as what the data might suggest. So mm. where do you stand on that? Have you seen some of that data and those studies as well? I, I you know, those guys have more data than I do. Um, I have seen them, them work very well. Um, I track the uh, outbound clicks on my site, right? And I'm, I see that most people are, you know, interacting with the comparison table call to action buttons um, and the images, right? So not sure, (laughs) it works for me. Got it. To be fair, with the number of transactions that you've done in the sites that you've had, I'm pretty sure you have more data than they do. And the people that I'm talking about are trying to sell a plugin. 
So I think (laughs) we have to look at people's (laughs) motives and their incentives, but you have real data on real sites. So I I believe you, you're not selling me anything. And it it depends, right? It depends on how you set up the table. Is it mobile responsive when, you know, most people are 60% of traffic, 50% traffic is mobile. Many tables I see, even if they're there, they're not mobile responsive. That's the first mistake. So it depends on what data set they have. But, you know, on a site that I have fully optimized with the most mobile responsive, uh, comparison table with call to action buttons, colors that you know, the color of the call to action button really needs to be a you know something crazy like yellow or red um, because so it pops out. When doing all of that, I mean, when you're scrolling on a page as a user, you're gonna see that you're gonna see those elements and you're going to click. That's what my results show. So, okay. So in a quick summary, so a bright contrasty call to action button, an image, which is uh, affiliate link. How much data do you put into a table? I know that's a classic mistake. Yeah, I, I have only three columns on my uh, comparison table. The first column is the title and the image. The second column is three bullet points of the high level features. And the third is a call to action button. That's it. I know there's all these people that put a lot of data in there and that's fine. You can do that. I do that, but I put that as a, as a different comparison table at the end of the article, right? Or somewhere close within, not at the most above the fold region of the page where most people are going to interact. So yeah, that's how I do it. You're the only other person that I've heard talk about a second table with more details. Cause if someone gets to the bottom, they're really yeah. engaged with the content and they want more details. Yeah. Okay. Very exactly. good. How many products do you put into a table? Yeah, so this is something I you know, tell people. Um, most people like to do 5, 10, 15 product reviews, right, in a buying guide. I only put three at the top in my table, the, maybe the top of the line, something you know, in between and something that's budget friendly and just keep it at that. Um, too much info is not good. You do, I mean, if you're, think, I, I always like to think as me as the user, right? If I'm going on an article and seeing 10 options, like oh, I could have just opened Amazon and seen 10 options, right? There's no different than that. So just show me the top of the top. You did the work. So just, you know, folk, make me focus. Perfect. I like it. And I know the wire cutter or other best in class type sites, they don't give you right. a table with 15 options. They give you exactly what you mentioned. Right. Editor's choice, premium choice, exactly. budget choice. Okay. Exactly. Awesome. Any anything else with tables that you think is really important? You know, you mentioned responsive, of course. Yeah. No, I think I, yeah, call to action has to be different, responsive, and images. Yeah, I think those are the easy ones. You also talked about having contextual affiliate links within the the body and the content, and right. I take it those work out pretty well. Do you have any kind of breakdown on the percentage of? click-throughs that come from the table versus those contextual links versus buttons or such? My tables get about 20 to 25% of the link clicks. Um, The second most clicked element is product boxes within the reviews or a call to action button within the reviews. I like to have a product box uh, which has an image, some high-level bullet points again, and then a call to action button within the reviews that gets the second and i think the third and i don't have data to say how much percentage but i uh, third most would be the contextual links um it's not the most uh, the highest click-through element on a buying guide type article but on an informational article with affiliate links it gets good click-through right it just depends because on a buying guide your elements are taking precedence like on the screen what's popping out right it's the product boxes and the comparison table are just so well like big on the screen, the buttons are big, you know, people are going to click versus a small uh, blue link or something. So it just depends on the type of article. Yeah, I don't have like concrete data, like it's 5% or something. Sure. And I think, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Because you know that you're getting a big enough increase. And technically, you could do A-B testing and really be granular, but it's diminishing returns, I guess. Yeah, with A-B testing, you know, I come from a, you know, engineering and science background. Most niche site owners do not have enough traffic numbers to a specific page to justify an A-B test. So, you know, it sounds cool to say, but the results just won't make sense here. Wirecutter and those guys can do it because they get millions of views per month. Have you gone down the route of A-B testing or you always knew that you wouldn't get the statistics that you you would need? 
my A/B testing is just my my no no like software with traditional you know confidence intervals and all that scientific approach. It's just me testing across a lot of websites, and there's no that's not an A/B test. It's just intuition and what's working and what's ticking the revenues up. Because at the end of the day, I might get more clicks. Doesn't mean I'm getting more money. So um, you know. Very good. How many sites, by the way, do you have in your portfolio right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I used to have a ton of sites, 18 sites. Um, I sold them all and saw that because 2017-ish is when I sold them all. The reason 18 sites, you focus on one or two because you like them most and the others just die down. And now I focus on five sites, five authoritative sites that grow. Um, the goal is to grow them to more than six figures in value, sell, replenish, and then buy more and just keep it to five. Just kind of focus on those. Okay. And you, you're great as an interviewee. I was about to ask, what's the the break point when you actually think, hey, I'm going to sell this? Do you have some favorites? How, how do you come to that decision, hey, I'm going to try to put this one on the market? Yeah, so I could maybe twist that and say, what ones do I keep? Um, so the sites that I like to keep are within a few verticals that I want to dominate. Right now I'm in the outdoor and dating niche verticals. Um, I have acquired two pillar sites on those that are, you know, 15 years old each, DR57s getting, one of them's getting 100,000 views, another is at 40,000 and both making 10 to 20K revenue monthly. And those become my pillars. So I, I've kind of, what I, what I do, I'm not niche, I don't care which niche, I'm niche agnostic. I find a good pillar site that's an authority site in the niche. Once I acquire that, I see, you know, I'm testing and figuring out if this is a good, uh, this, in, does it have enough good affiliate programs that pay out significant amounts of revenue? Can I negotiate with the brands? Um, and if I see all of that and I'm seeing this site growing, I kind of say, okay, I'm going to build out more sites or buy out more sites, sorry, within that vertical. So I'm, I kind of go the other approach. I don't like pick a niche, I pick a site essentially to add to my portfolio. And the remaining ones that don't meet those criteria, I sell off. Okay. And as far as acquiring the sites, where do you typically buy them? And I have a yeah. few questions around that stuff. Yeah, I, you know, this is gonna sound weird, but Flippa is actually my best uh, source. Uh, and I'll get to, and most people say Flippa is like the eBay, right? It, there's a lot of scams, a lot of bad listings. But if you know what you're looking for, Flippa is a gold mine. And the reason for that is Flippa has market share. All the new bloggers, the bloggers who kind of put together sites that are passion uh, sites, right? That they put, wrote their own, their own content. They go to Flippa first. That's the first thing that pops up when they search how to sell my site, right? So those sites get on Flippa and those are the sites I want to buy that have been aged over 10 years. They've put their, you know, blood, sweat and tears into it and good content. And those are the ones that, that are not going to show up in Empire Flippers or uh, Motion Invest or Investors Club because they probably don't hit the revenue threshold or those marketplaces are much smaller. So, you know, Flippa is, I bought two of my best sites in the past two years that are now, you know, six, higher than six figure valuations from Flippa. My secondary source is my, um, Facebook groups, and then also I have a private network of 2,500 buyers and sellers that you know we kind of share deals, and you know, they send me stuff, I buy it, or I send them deals that I don't want to buy. So it's kind of a, like a network there. Gotcha, and that makes sense with Flippa. A lot of times people ask about Flippa, but they're brand new, and that's kind of a dangerous place yeah. if you don't know what you're looking for. But you yeah. know exactly what you're looking for, and yeah. how to verify and all the due diligence. So. Yeah. Okay. And as far as negotiating for, like yeah. with people, how, how do you approach that? Since you've done so many deals, you yeah. you probably have a, I would say almost an yes. unfair upper hand. <laughs> so yeah, what do you do? Yeah, I take a, a couple, you know, prong strategy here. You know, I'm first getting, starting with due diligence. I can know within five minutes, and I have an article that's in my five minute sniff test, essentially, is this site does this pass the sniff test, right? Um, once it does, I'm going into negotiations, but what I'm looking at is obviously websites today are valued at 32X, 36X, around that range, uh, monthly profits. And you know, that's the baseline. Most people kind of know that now, but you know, and some people ask for much more, but what I'm trying to figure out is 
are there easy wins on the site that if I buy it today, within a month, how much can I increase it? So that gives me some leverage on if some guy asks for, you know, 50x, can I justify that? And he's not willing to budge. So first, I'm kind of figuring out what are the easy wins. I keep those to myself. I'm not going to share that to the <laughs> to the to the seller. But I'm also then looking at what are I'm trying to twist those easy wins to see, okay, what the the seller has done wrong. I could say, oh, hey, the content quality is weak. All of these, all these articles are gonna need changes. Your website template is really old. You know, all these things. And I kind of, I put it a data-driven approach. I kind of list it all out and tell the person, hey, you know, these are all things that you haven't done. Um, I know. It, let's mark it off. Test to reduce the price by X dollars um, to, you know, compensate for that. And you know. I have seen buyers that just come out out of the blue and just say, hey, you know, you want 35X? No, I'm going to give you 25X with no justification. That's not fair, right? So I like to provide the justification. And then if they want to argue, sure. Or, but most of the time they say, okay, let's meet somewhere in the middle, right? They see me as a very, uh, you know, somebody nice to work with, no challenges. And they understand. And I understand what they're feeling because I've been on both sides of the table, right? I know exactly what both people are trying to think of. Got it. And it's similar to, I haven't purchased a lot of houses, but I have some friends that are sure. more into real estate, but you know, that's kind of a classic thing to do. You list yes. out all the flaws. And then even if it's kind exactly. of a minor flaw, it is a negotiating piece that you can yep. have give and take with. Very yep. good. So you buy primarily from Flippa and your private network. And then yes. as far as selling, where do you like to right. do that? Yeah, I so now that I have a kind of a private network, I you know give it out to my list, my my followers, my um, group there. Um, if somebody bites, that's great. I save on the commissions. Uh, it's about ten to fifteen percent savings, so I kind I can share that with them on the saving side. Um, the second would be uh, Facebook groups, so it's private Facebook groups, and the third would be brokers. I like to do. Uh, Flippa for smaller sites that I have less than fifty thousand because I have, I'm a I'm a broker a recognized broker there to the Flippa platform so I get some benefits there and I also have a large following on Flippa of a thousand watchers so whenever I put a listing up you know all of these watchers get a notification and you know the bidding wars kind of begin but if it's a six figure plus deal Flippa is not ideal the buyers there are kind of less um, less of the around the 30 to 50K range. And if it's a six figure deal, I, I like to go to Empire Flippers um, or Investors Club. Okay, very good. Any tips for people who maybe want to try to sell on Flippa? Maybe they have a, you know, a not a big valuable site that would be eligible for some of the, the brokers. The listing, the one benefit you have with Flippa is you get to control how you tell your story um, on the listing page. You don't get to really do that on the broker side. They kind of take all the information and just share what they want to share. So on Flippa, you know, if you if you have a site that's good, it's just not earning enough and you want a high multiple, just explain to the buyer what are the easy wins. What, what do you, would you do if you maybe had time and say why you didn't have time to do it? There's no excuse. I mean, yeah, you can make excuses, but everybody understands why they want to sell, right? But just lay out, okay, I didn't do this, 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 I recommend this. Also, you know, if you have time, Put together a list of keywords, a content strategy for the buyer so that they don't have to worry about it. Packaging all of that up, you should get a higher multiple because now the seller is seeing that there's opportunity for growth, right? That's what I, I think would work. And that's a pretty simple thing to do, deliver a handful of keywords <laughs> yeah. and say, here's a content plan, here's yeah. uh, you know an easy, an easy win, and it's, who knows if it'll work, but at least they have a plan, right? Yeah, exactly. Very good. And any other details with uh, maybe selling on, on Flippa? That, that's an awesome tip. But yeah, any other um, off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, a detailed PNL. I see many sites that don't even put an Excel spreadsheet with the you know last 12 months of revenues and costs. Uh, screenshots. My listings are very detailed where I don't really get any questions from buyers um, because I have 12 months of screenshots from every affiliate source that I have a detailed PNL, AHFs, AHREFs or SEMrush report so they can see the backlinks. I even, you know, 
even even on my side that are, are are earning a lot, right? I like to leave some room for growth because you know the seller, the buyer wants to know that there's some opportunity. So I I even share keywords, right? I say the winner is going to get like 20, 10, 20 keywords, access to the writers um, that were writing for the site. So it's kind of a turnkey uh, solution for them, right? To the to the point, not perfectly turnkey. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. I didn't think of a couple of those things, but as I peruse listings before, I would think I would never bid on that. There's incomplete data. And what you're describing is just someone approaching this as a professional, which exactly. you, know, you are, you know, you've done this for a long time. You're earning good money with it. So if you come in and you provide all the data, a little extra stuff, someone feels a little bit more trust just because there's more information there. That's great. Right. Yeah, awesome. exactly. When you're selling and you're going through the negotiations, how do you deal with that? Knowing that you know you have your own strategies and, and ways to approach when you're purchasing. So how do you how do you negotiate as the seller? Uh, how do I counter negotiate? Like how do I when some buyer wants to offer and what am I saying? Right? Yeah. Because um, I know what they're gonna say. They're gonna come back and tell me, "Hey, this is wrong." It's kind of pisses me off. <laughs> I know what they're coming from. They want a deal. So, and I'm willing to cut them a deal. I, I'm, I know some sellers that are stick to their guns that, you know, if the market says 37 X and pirate flipper says 37 X, it has to be. No, I, I, I leave, I leave room, right? I'm willing to go down five monthly profits, like five X lower to kind of close the deal. So I'm negotiable. I, I know. And the reason for that is once they buy from me, first time it's a quality site i don't sell garbage sites right those people will come back to me follow me and buy the next deal from me right that has happened many times i have sold one they bought five or six from me over the last five ten years right so it's it's just it's good rapport right just to build that up got it and it's funny sorry i was just thinking about how it pisses you off when they come back and uh, <laughs> you know, they're busting your balls yeah. on a couple of things, same things that you right. you would do. Okay, yeah. and you'll, you'll go as low as a 5X. Now, how do you, when you're not dealing with a broker? 5X, uh, sorry, 5X lower than- 5X lower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're not dealing with a broker and maybe you found someone on your, your email right. list, how do you actually do the transaction and the closing? You're dealing with large amounts of money the cost yeah. of a house in some places. So how does that work? Yeah, it's always uh, escrow.com, uh, my go-to. Uh, everything is safe there. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never used anything but escrow.com. As far as contracts or uh, lawyers, do you have someone on a retainer that helps you do all this stuff? I've had a lawyer draft up a, um, a generic sale agreement. And so I just use that for sales. If the buyer wants to do their own Thing, um, they're happy to, but I provide that as a you know a template to use. Okay. Any anything else with selling that I didn't ask about? The transfer part is extremely important of the website, right? Just before that, you you start closing. You know, when you finalize, just make sure you know who's going to do the transfer. You know, it should be one party, not both parties simultaneously doing a transfer. So it's either buyer side going to do the transfer or the seller side. Just make sure that's clear and uh, set the expectations. Like I can transfer a site within two days, right, and just be done with it. But the buyer may want a you know a buyer may want two weeks to analyze everything and you know make sure it's. Right. So, you know, just set the expectations early because right after you do your escrow and the money is in, it will suck to know that, hey, this guy wants an extra week to analyze everything. So just set expectations up front. Is one to two weeks the average or the standard for after the transfer and making sure every everything looks how it's supposed to, traffic and earnings and all that? Right. Yeah, seven days, seven uh, um normal days uh, is, is ideal uh, for reviewing everything. Moving on to some of the deals that didn't work out or maybe mistakes. So with the, the number of the number of deals that you've done, I'm sure some of them kind of flop. So do you have any uh, sort of spectacular mistakes that you've made here? Yeah, back in the day, PBNs and now is also their kind of hot, right? And I bought a few sites that are PBNs. And what happened was the person who built up that site 
had a 250 PBN network and all of his sites plus all the sites he sold just went down in one night, right? Just died dead. So I lost that site. And after that, it's like, I'm not dealing with PBNs ever again. So since then I have not bought any PBN sites. So that's, that's one that was like, you know, in the face, you know, others have happened where I assume that, you know, I can 10x the growth here and that hasn't happened. So, but one thing is I'm always buying underappreciated assets. It's either underappreciated in terms of the easy wins or underappreciated in, in terms of I get a very good multiple on it, right? So it's because I buy right, and that's in real estate as well. You, you make your money when you buy, not when you sell, right? You buy right. So I can always flip it for, you know, even if it's maybe it's only a thousand dollars profit, let's say all, all inclusive. I don't, I haven't lost money because I'm always very, um, very strict on my criteria. So, you know, after that PBN fiasco, I haven't had any issues. So. All right. Yeah. Do you remember what year that was? Ooh, 2000. Mm. You know, I, I want to say 12, 13. Uh, okay. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. I got yeah when they were, possible. when they were, okay. Yeah, when sorry, when they were really like booming. And nowadays it's kind of you know, not people. People are still selling sites with PBNs, but it's not like everybody wants to build a PBN now. They kind of understand that's not the long term strategy. Right. Yeah, and I got caught up a little bit in that stuff, and it was 2013 and 14, roughly, when I, yeah. before yeah. I started to stay away from it. <laughs> so, you kind of mentioned that. People are still using PBNs, and it's kind of it's kind of on the underground. But you, yeah. know, you have your ear to the ground, and you kind of know what's going on. Can you elaborate on that? And these these are private blog networks for people that don't know. But yeah, what yeah. what do you see out there? So back in the day, PBNs were very easy to pick up, right? So you could see a site, uh, and in general, the first signal for a PBN is, you know, you get links from the homepage and there's like hundreds of articles on the homepage that are long form and you just see those links. Um, that's, that's easy to pick up. People have gotten smarter. Nowadays, PBNs are masked to be like mini niche sites. Um, it's harder to pick up and it's, it, so that has changed. What I'm seeing in terms of people selling is they sell a site and I'm seeing these in big brokers, I'm not gonna say who, they sell the site, but they don't provide the PBN network with the site, which I feel is the biggest red flag ever because you buy the site, there's no guarantee the seller is going to continue linking back to you. They have no obligation, unless it's in the contract, but most of the time they have no obligation. So, you know, in terms of, you know, PBN structures, what I'm seeing now is a network of sites in a similar niche that are all interlinking together to boost up a authority main authority site it's harder to pick up now um but it's still a pbn network and something i've seen seen people a lot of people are buying guest posts um we do everybody buys guest posts but most people are buying guest posts from big networks right the well-known like public marketplaces over time, you know, if you keep doing that, the same people keep doing that, that becomes a PPN, right? It becomes a network that's interlinking. I mean, I could talk to this, uh, a person and he might buy from that uh, marketplace. So would I. And then, you know, we're kind of all in the same arena. So, you know, I that's why I stay away from those. I just do my own outreach you know, and make sure that that website is not part of any other PBN so I can control the link um, uh, equity there. And what approach do you have for outreach? You mentioned, you know, either paying for guest posts or getting guest posts, but yeah, what's your overall approach for link building? Yeah, so this is, this part may be interesting is that I actually don't do like mass outreach, mass cold outreach, or don't have any software or people in the house for that. When I, when I acquire a site, you know, I said that I acquire sites that have been aged and, you know, or their expired domains or something with a lot of, let's say a backlink authority, right? So once I have kind of accelerated the growth of the site with what you know backlink authority, authority the site has, I then do strategic um, uh, guest posts, let's say. So I reach out to, for example, the brands that I'm promoting, right? The e-commerce brands. And I say to them, look, I have a team of expert writers um, that understand this niche. Let me write an article for you guys for your blog on your e-commerce site. Now that is, I in my opinion, I don't I haven't seen any studies, but 
that is a very powerful uh, guest post compared to getting a guest post on a random blog, right? Because uh, uh, Google is favoring e-commerce over uh, blogs on their um, SERPs, right? So if I can get an e-commerce site linking back to me and recommending my authority site, that's a better signal than you know any random site doing it. So I like to do those kind of strategic guest post partnerships rather than just blanket, you know, just sp spray and pray method, right? Yeah, I like that because uh, I'm sure you get a ton of emails, but yeah, you get just oh, yeah. really bad pitches <laughs> these days. And one of the yeah. worst is when I actually reply back to their email, but their automation right. keeps asking me for responses. Do you, do you see that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Their, yeah. their, their software is broken or they don't know what they're doing. So, okay, that's very good. Yeah. Any tips for people to actually land a guest post or a spot on the e-commerce side. I know you mentioned saying, yep. hey, we understand the industry, like we are part of the industry here. So any other tips yep. to add authority yeah. to your pitch? Yeah, so first is I plainly ask for the guest post. So it's one way, right? That's the best. You know, some some of those work, some of them don't. Them don't. I, I know owners in some of these e-commerce brands, so I can I can't because I've been in this niche for a while. I can kind of say, hey, do me a favor or something. I'll I'll give you a social media shout out. So that's the second thing, trading, right? You give them a guest post. Sorry, yeah, they they publish your guest post, but you say, hey, I'll give you a social media shout out to all my followers. Maybe an email blast or something, right? That's gonna. It's not a backlink to backlink trade, but it's still something they can benefit from. And the third thing is a mutual where I'm giving them a guest post, but I'm also doing a product review of one of the e-commerce products, right? And it's 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 the. I don't like to do that because then it becomes a two-way um, backlink, but it's still better than doing a two-way backlink with a niche blog. So it, it works. So give something in return and you know they're happy to do that because they're spending thousands of dollars on their marketing department, their affiliate department, and getting this free uh, just for an article, they're probably more than happy to do that. They'll probably spend much more just doing cold outreach to other blogs. So you can come up with an, uh, a strategy for them. You mentioned expired or age domains. How do they yeah. fit into your strategy? Yeah, so recently I have been getting into those last, I would say, 12 months or so. So when I have figured out like the pillar sites that are part of my uh, vertical play, right, outdoor um, dating, right, those two niches are want to dominate. There's only so many other sites in those same verticals selling at any given time. So I could wait a year or two years finding the next deal to add into my portfolio. But what I do now is actually, because I already know the keywords, I know which shoulder niches are working. I, I, I know exactly how to monetize. I can go acquire an uh, expired domain, an age domain from various marketplaces or auctions and just build up content because I already have the writers in place. It's very cheap for me to do that. So yes, I do I do sometimes start from scratch, but it's only when I have an, an, a competitive advantage over everybody else. I don't start from scratch on a random niche that I just want to play around with. I, I need to know that I can dominate there. So yes, I use uh, expired domains. Is there any specific criteria that you look for when choosing and shopping around for such a domain? Yeah, so, you know, obviously good backlinks, uh, backlinks that I could not acquire otherwise. So if it's, you know, normal niche site backlinks, you know, I can go and buy those. I'm not going to pay a premium for the uh, domain. But if I, I, for example, I bought a DR50 expired domain with links from New York Times, Forbes, CNN, there's just no way <laughs> you, anybody can acquire those in a short period of time. So that's I'm looking for those dominative, like dominant, very good uh, expired domains. Also looking at you know when I'm doing due diligence on an expired domain, I'm looking at topical relevancy through archive.org, right? I'm looking at what did it start off as? Did it ever change? Did it get redirected to a domain that has no relevance? So I'm trying to see the history of the site, and if that's all good, the domain profile is good. I I, I pull the trigger and buy it. Is there any minimum number of referring domains that you don't even look at below that number? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean. 50 to 100, I think less than 50, I don't, I don't look at. But all of those 50, you know, at least five of them, five of the domains have to be extremely good that I can't buy, right? I can't acquire those things. Got it. And then when you, 
I just want to make sure I have it right. So you found a domain, has some great links, has enough of them. It's relevant to the, the topic area. It hits all the marks. Are you just publishing on that site or do you redirect to, you know, one of your yeah. other sites? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So it's very tempting to just redirect to maybe a silo on your authority site or, you know, some page that scares me because I have a six figure asset here. I'm going to redirect the domain. I don't, there's no data, nothing to prove that that will work out for the best. So I don't do that. I like to keep them separated, build up another site on the side in the same type of niche. And then, you know, just uh, eventually maybe do. So, you know, what, what I have done with these authority sites is because all these e-commerce brands want to work with me, right? I can leverage that. And when I build up a new site, I just tap, tap into that same network again and say, hey, you gave me a deal on that one, a higher commission rate, let's do it here as well. So keep them separate also minimizes my risk. If one dies, you know, I have another, I, I don't want, I don't ever co-mingle assets. Perfect, I respect that. I'm pretty risk averse myself. And I wanna point out one, one thing that implicitly is in play here. So yeah. you have, worked out certain deals, maybe higher affiliate commissions, maybe other things that make any sale that you have in a particular industry more valuable than your competitors. So you literally can go buy a site and know, yeah. hey, I can just get my deal in place on this site and it's yeah. automatically X amount of money. You could even quantify it based on the current data. Yes. And yes. sure, your projections could be off, but right. you know for a fact that you can pay, you know, 50x and actually still yep. be getting a deal. Yep. That's crazy. And, and I paid 75x for this outdoor site that I bought, right? Because <laughs> okay. the seller was not willing to budge, right? Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I saw, but at that time, I didn't have these uh, special arrangements in place, right? That came later. But I paid 75x based on the potential opportunity I see, the easy wins that we talked about, right? And I'm willing to pay up to 50K, I'm willing to pay any value in there because it's within my capital budget, right? I, I don't really care. The multiple is a vanity metric, right? It's if you see opportunity and you see that opportunity within one month, which I usually do, I'm willing to pay any crazy multiple just to seal the deal, right? I'm, I'm okay with that. Awesome. Well, we're kind of wrapping up here, but there's a, a couple, couple more quick questions I want to ask. Sure. Do you, for the affiliate side, is it primarily Amazon or is it other blend of programs? Yeah, I like to stay away from Amazon um, as much as possible. 20% of my revenues across all my sites is from Amazon. Most of it starts off at majority Amazon, but then I diversify away. Are you working directly with companies or via like share a sale, commission junction, some of the bigger uh, marketplaces? Yeah, ShareASell, um, Commission Junction, Impact Radius, Avant Link, all of them. Yeah. Okay, and then so if you if you see a site out there, it's, it's usually mostly on Amazon, and then you'll slowly move it over to these other areas. Just to is it to spread the risk overall, or do you earn more right away when, by doing that? Combination. You uh, you can earn more. It, it really depends. But one strategy that I do use is when I'm you know, going through the Amazon Associates report, I'm looking at the top products that have been sold, not in volume and in revenue in sales generated. And I reach out directly to those brands, right? And the reason I'm reaching out is to say, hey, I'm going to continue sending you sales on Amazon. I, I Maybe I move you guys up to number one position or something. Of course, the product has to be good. Let's assume all of that is in place. I move them up you know, in positioning, but I tell them, look, I need a private deal with you. I will continue sending you traffic to Amazon. You get the sales, we'll create a unique affiliate ID. I'll track the sales. At the end of the month, I'll send you a report uh, via email and an invoice via PayPal, and you pay me an extra 20% on all the sales generated. So now I get the benefit of Amazon's high, high conversion rate, which their e-commerce Shopify store is not going to do. Um, I also get the full cart value of the user. And for the specific products that I sold of theirs, I get 20, 25% commission. So I have many of these uh, deals set up with brands. So it's, it's the best of both worlds there. What's the success rate on pitching that, that deal? I've done 
10 pitches and I would say four of them have been successful. Um, and that's because, because I have these buying guides that are at the top of Google, right? So they're already there. I can show Google Analytics traffic that, hey, you just sign this deal with me, you immediately start getting sales. It's not like, hey, I have a potential article that's going to get there one day. No, no, I'm coming really full force that you you want to have sales. I mean, the other way you're going to do it is beat me on the uh, Google ads on that page, but I'm still going to get, you know, more than everybody else on that page. So so I have that authority there that I can, I can demand what's right in terms of the commission payments. Have you ever sort of pitted the competitors against each other and say, hey, well, I'm going to go to <laughs> the other two brands and somebody's going to pay it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like simultaneously shop it around and just do one at a time and then see which one locks in and obviously the good products. Right. But what I have done, I have I've gotten thinking I'm going to probably do that to level up my niche size is some of these brands that I am promoting. I mean, I can go and private label my own product and because I kind of figured out what they can pay me in commissions, what they're paying to Amazon, I can kind of see the margins there, right? Like they're paying 40% in fees, including my commission. So I can kind of see, all right, I can probably just start up my own FBA brand and just promote my own products and just kick them out, right? <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's a competitive world, so. It sure is. Yeah. And you have all that, you have all that data and the relationships and you know, the traffic and the conversion rate from your site. So very cool. All right. And sort of the, the final question, just I'm curious, do you have the email list running on your various sites or do you do email marketing in any capacity? I do. My outdoor site has a 19,000 email list, um, gets sent three times a week and generates automated revenue. I have like a 40, email uh, campaign that I have built up. I like to do like three informational emails and then one commercial and just recycle that um, over time. So yeah, that's that's pretty much on, you know, it's automatic and I get about thousand subscribers a month to that. So. Very nice, very nice. Email marketing is pretty fun. Uh, do you have it on other sites too or it, that one just happens to work pretty well? Yeah, not all sites work. So my dating site, you know, I could have it more or less. The thing is I get paid like $150 per sale. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to disrupt their say, buying behavior by capturing an email and hopefully selling them in the future when they can give me $150 today. So it works on niches that are more hobbyist. You know, there's a long-term aspect to it. There's multiple ways they can solve a problem, not just one way. With dating, it's, you know, you just pick the, site dating site you want to use right and you're going to use that for a while until you maybe find the person you're looking for or you go to another one there's not like i'm going to try four or five of them you know you kind of commit you paid a monthly fee so i'm willing to just get the revenues from that and be happy but from outdoor site you know there's so many products you can buy this 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 so there's a multiple ways to kind of get the full ecosystem of that um, of that um, vertical onto the user through email marketing awesome well, anything else before we finish up? Anything that you want to share that I didn't ask or any parting okay. words? Uh, yeah, parting words. Uh, learn how to do due diligence before you go and buy a site. Um, if you are a newcomer, please build a site from scratch. You will understand the ins and outs, and then you can buy a site. Don't just jump head, you know, head first into this. It's not a typical like buying a real estate. You know, It doesn't always hold value. Of course, a site can crash tomorrow, so just know what you're doing. That's all. Good advice. And people can find you over at the website Flip. Any other places you would like to point out? No, just the website flip.com. Um, and that's, that's where I'm active. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Mushfiq and definitely check out the website Flip so you can sign up for his newsletter and just check out some of the case studies that he has going on there. I do want to give a shout out to ODYS, which we didn't mention specifically in the interview, but this company, ODYS, is a place where a lot of people, I am now becoming aware, pick up their aged and or expired domains. I think typically they're aged domains and their tagline is 
our domains, your SEO, and kickstart your online business with an age domain from ODYS, invest in sites that grow in value with built-in SEO to help you get seen. And basically you can get domains that are aged. Usually they did not expire. And I've been chatting with the, I'm not sure if he's the, the president or founder or what his official title is, but it seems like they really look out for domains that have the the SEO established already. So they have backlinks basically, but they're not just a throwaway domain. Maybe one of those classic ones would be a, I guess like a, uh, a political campaign in a specific year. So it would be Doug Cunnington 2016, right? Kind of irrelevant. It doesn't make sense. Even if it has great links, the relevancy to other domains would be unusual, right? It, it There's no direct niche relevancy. So they look out for brandable domains. They look out for domains that have a lot of uh, backlinks and from a lot of conversations I've had in the last couple of weeks, including this one, people are using this service quite a bit. I am an affiliate. So if you end up buying anything, congratulations. And I would get a commission. I appreciate that. And hopefully I'll be uh, working with them a little bit more in the future. And it's ODYS and you can get the link in the show notes here. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of information over there and you may as well Take a look and check it out and see what they're doing over there. I also want to answer a few questions today. So this is the Niche Website Builders Q&A segment. I do want to give a quick update on the Shotgun Skyscraper campaign that they're running for me. It's been going for quite a long time. So it's been running for about six months. Technically, it's been seven months. The cadence in that sentence was a little off. So the first month, it's been seven months since they started working with me. For the first month, usually they they write content, they kind of get things established. And then after that, they can move forward and get a bunch of links. So as of today, which is, it is actually the first day of March, I have 93 links that they've picked up for me. Is that right? No, that's not right. I have what appears to be 70 links and I thought it was 90. You know what? Let me, let me pause. Uh, I think maybe my spreadsheet's out of date. I'll be right back. I'm back through the magic of editing and you know what? My spreadsheet is not up to date. They must be updating it for the you know full month of February here, but I could tell you, I know I looked the other day because I sent an email out to my email list and I told them that I have 93 backlinks with an average domain rating as reported by Ahrefs as 44.98. So quite a few links over the last several months. And there have been months where there's a lot of links that were obtained and some slower months. I think sometimes a prospect list or a specific piece of uh, content, that skyscraper piece of content, may or may not be as attractive. But overall, there's a constant flow of more links that are coming my way. I know the, I guess the sign-up form, I know that they, they kind of shut down the service to new people, to new clients, because they got a bunch of new clients. So they kind of needed to throttle it down and make sure that they did a good job for all the existing clients, but that is now opened back up. So if you're interested in the shotgun skyscraper campaign, I'm using the budget version and it seems to be doing a great job for a brand new site. The domain rating is uh, slowly climbing and it's actually up around 48 at this point. And I, I have to also mention that is also attributed to some Haro link building that has taken place on that site as well. So overall, thanks to Niche Website Builders. If you're interested in their content packages or anything or any of their link building stuff, you could follow the link in the show notes here. You can save money or get additional content if you're purchasing something that's content-oriented. To tie back this question to some of the things that we talked about, in the conversation, I get 
asked about this often about expired domains. Hey, should I use an expired domain? Can I skip the sandbox? Is it worthwhile? Should I do it? And usually I get that in many different forms and there may be some other caveats thrown in, but usually when I get that question, it's from someone who's newer overall, someone who might actually have a lot of knowledge. And I found this for myself. And as I talk to more and more people, maybe there's folks that watch a lot of YouTube videos and they listen to a lot of podcasts and they're very knowledgeable in this affiliate marketing and SEO area. However, they may, they maybe don't have much experience, right? So maybe they know a lot of stuff, but they don't have a lot of the firsthand knowledge. So a person might know it's great to get a domain that already has some backlinks. Maybe I should get an expired domain. I usually caution them to not do it. And I I tell people, hey, if you have to ask if it's a good idea to use this technique, you probably shouldn't do it because you probably don't have the prerequisite information to make it work. Further, you can maybe have some information, like know just enough and end up buying a domain. Let's say you source an age domain for $1,000. That's a decent chunk of change versus buying a domain that costs 10 bucks for the registration for a year versus $1,000. So you sink in $1,000. Maybe it's your first affiliate or content website and you're not sure if it's going to work. You get this expired domain or an age domain. You invest even more into it and then you build out your site You publish a lot of content, maybe you hire writers, maybe you write it yourself, and you end up with a lot of capital invested, a lot of time invested, and maybe your heart and soul, right? Maybe you put a lot into it, and then it doesn't work out, and you're not sure, hey, did you fuck up on some piece of the puzzle here? Did you make some tragic mistake with your keyword research? Was it the content? Was it the people that you hired? Maybe you accidentally keyword stuffed because you were following the Yoast SEO plugin. Maybe it was that expired domain that had some penalty, some sort of black mark in its history that you didn't know how to identify. So that's why usually I, I tell someone, hey, you know, if you're asking that question, don't don't do it because you're you might be in a position that person might be a little vulnerable to failure because they're just getting started in a new thing. Now, let's say you've launched a few sites. Let's say you've figured out how to make a few hundred dollars per month or a few thousand. Maybe you sold a couple sites and you're thinking, hey, I have some extra money. I want to buy a domain that has been around for a while and it's in this age domain directory over here. Maybe you find an expired domain. It looks pretty clean and you have the money to spend. And if you lost it, it's not the worst thing in the world. And you've been successful before. So you're not in that sort of sensitive state where if you mess up and you fail, you're going to quit. You're a stubborn person. You already know that you can do it and you can do it again. So it's not as big of a deal. So that's why I always caution people, hey, you know, maybe don't go the expired domain, age domain route because it may not work and it might not be any fault of your own. It may have just been like a little mistake and you will have invested a lot of time and you'll feel really bad if it doesn't work out. All that to say, there's a couple things that you can really easily check. And one of those is the anchor text for the referring domains and the uh, referring backlinks. So any of the backlinks that the site has, have a look at it. Do the, does all the anchor text make sense? Is there a lot of branded anchor text? Are there links to certain pieces of uh, content or to specific URLs that were popular? Maybe you could imagine that they rank number one. You can go over to the web archive, the, uh, that, uh, what, what do they call it? It's archive.org, the Wayback Machine. You can go to the Wayback Machine, look at all the different snapshots, look at individual URLs and see, oh, that was actually a pretty good piece of content. I see why they were ranking and I see why a lot of people link to it and I see why they still have links going to it. So if you take a look and you make sure that the anchor text makes sense 
and it looks good and the content looks good, you're probably in good shape. I mean, you're, you're probably not going to run into any issues. You should also look if the site had other ownership and it transitioned to maybe some other business or another website or some change along the way. So if you see that, that could be a, a little bit troubling because at some point, a new owner took over the domain, they did some stuff, and then they got rid of it. And they got rid of it for some reason. Maybe there's a good reason. Maybe you can go back through the Wayback Machine and see uh, updates to their blog. Maybe you could understand why they let it go. And again, refer to the anchor text for any of those links and see if anything weird is going on. Those are the main areas you can look at. And through some conversations, both with uh, Mushfiq and in an upcoming episode, I talked to uh, Sean and Newman about some of these same ideas. You want to look for niche relevancy. That's important just in general, but you also want niche relevancy for the backlinks. That's where you get the real power. And Mushfiq had some specific guidelines that he looks for. And in the episode with Shauna coming up in a couple of weeks, she goes even deeper and looks very specifically. And she's spent a lot of time refining and honing her approach to choose these age domains to make sure they're going to work for her. In fact, I think she said she, she's gone through about 20 age domains and spent quite a bit of money. It's, it's a big investment. It's an expensive way to learn. But now she has kind of a repeatable formula and approach and certain metrics and criteria she can look at for these age domains and know she's getting a good deal and there's a high likelihood for success. So overall, if you're interested in the age domains and expired domains and you're brand new, I encourage you to work with a, a pro who knows how to do it. I know actually niche website builders, they source domains and they'll, they'll build out content for you and help you out and help you choose a age domain that works for you. I didn't even realize how well this question was going to work with the niche website builders Q&A segment, but man, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this. Now, if you're, if you're brand new, maybe don't do it, or you need to have a budget to work with a vendor or a partner who can give you good advice and make sure that you're not going to get a domain that's not going to work for you in the long run. If you are experienced you've been successful, you've made some money, and you can afford to test and lose some money, much like Shauna has done, then sure, go for it. I mean, there's no better way to learn than to put your own money on the line and think, hey, I spent $2,500 on that domain and it flopped and I really need to figure out why because that was a waste. So there's a big there's a big commitment in certain ways with that approach, but it's part of the fun. And I, I think for certain personalities, it'll work great. And I'll leave it at that. So thanks to Niche Website Builders, and we'll catch you on the next episode. 